Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 38. As always, if you have questions that you want answered on the podcast, send them to michael at scientifictriathlon.com or on Facebook Messenger through the widget on the website scientifictriathlon.com. Before we get into today's episode, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. They make sodium and electrolyte replacement products that actually taste very, very yummy, which is a nice surprise. And as you know, if you've listened to interviews that I've done with, for example, Andy Blow, who is the founder of Precision Hydration, but also other nutrition and hydration episodes that we've had here, Sodium and electrolytes is a critical part of your nutrition and hydration strategy in racing and training. And for that reason, Precision Hydration has created a quiz that you can take for free on their website. And that will create an individualized hydration strategy for you that you can use. And if you want to try their products for free, you can get your first box or tube uh, of electrolyte product for free with the promo code Show, all one word, all caps. And thank you to Roka, which is the brand that redefines the standard in wetsuits, dry suits, eyewear, and several other triathlon and endurance sports categories. And uh, just to give you an idea of what Roka products I use and love, I thought I might list the ones that I I currently use and, and some that I might use in the future. So right now I use the Maverick X wetsuit, which is absolutely brilliant. I use the Gen 2 Elite Aero Tri Suit, same thing there. I use the Sim Pro 2 buoyancy shorts in some of my swims and love them. I use the R1 goggles, uh, several different R1 goggles actually, depending on the, uh, the sun and lighting conditions. I use the SL1 sunglasses and for, for cycling and running and for casual streetwear, I use the Aviator sunglasses. If I were to do some non-wetsuit races, I would also definitely be using the Viper swim skin. Uh, I would get that as my go-to swim skin if I if I needed a swim skin. So that is the most popular swim skin in Kona at the Ironman World Championships. So that would be my go-to potentially if I if I do a race like that. So that's uh, to give you just an idea of some of the, the products that I use and love. And you can get 20% off your entire order on roca.com with the promo code TTS, all caps. All right, let's get into the question. Uh, just a bit of warm- warning, this is the fifth Q&A that I uh, record now here consecutively in a few hours here on a Tuesday morning in May. So if I sound a little bit tired, that's because I've put a lot of energy already into the q as I'll try to finish this one. This will be the last one I, I record as part of this batch recording. The first question for today is from Craig in the UK who writes, Hi Michael, I'm loving the podcast. They really helped me geek out and understand my body to improve my training. Uh, I wonder if you could help me understand what is happening with regard to heart rates. My zone 2 heart rate in a 5-zone system is between 148 and 158 beats per minute. On my long runs, I average a 9 minute per mile pace, which is 5 minutes 35 seconds per kilometer. But I can run a sub-20 minute 5k, which is uh, 626 mile pace or 400 kilometer pace. A friend of mine, similar age, runs his long runs at a heart rate of around 144 and manages a pace of 8.20 per mile, so 5.10 per kilometer pace. Yet I always seem to finish above him in races. What's going on here? I find it hard not to get frustrated when comparing myself to others. 
So hi Craig, thanks so much for your question. And this is a good one. I will be a good example actually for the listeners. So I really, really dig this question. First, just to recap the numbers, your zone two heart rate is between 148 and 158, and you run in that heart rate zone for your long runs at a pace of nine minutes per mile, nine minutes per mile or 535 per kilometer. Your friend runs at a heart rate of 144, so slightly lower than you. And his pace is higher than yours or faster than yours, so 820 per mile or 510 per kilometer, but you are faster in 5k races compared to him. So uh, let's first assume that your heart rate zones are set correctly. I think we can make this assumption because your paces, basically there is a one minute 30 seconds difference per kilometer in pace between your 5k race pace and your long run race pace. And that is a decent difference. It indicates that you really are going at an appropriate pace for your long runs. In terms of minutes per mile, it's 2 minutes 30 seconds, by the way, in mile pace difference there. I did the calculations beforehand. What happens here with your friends, with your friend, is that, well, heart rates, first of all, are so individual. Some people have naturally high heart rates and some have naturally low heart rates, which is why formulas based on age do not work on the individual level. They never have and they never will. So you should never compare your heart rate with another person's there is absolutely no value, no benefit in, in doing that. The only thing that you can compare in cases like this would be percentage of maximum heart rate or what zone you are in. But in that case, both individuals need to have their training zones set using the same method for even for that to be a valid comparison. But what is happening here simply is that your friend is running his long runs way too fast, period. I don't know. I don't need to know his heart rate zones to tell that if he cannot break 20 minutes for the five kilometers, he shouldn't be running five minutes, 10 seconds per kilometer pace for his long runs. Uh, because uh, for example, personal example here, I'm not running my long runs much faster than that, like maybe 450 pace or 445 pace or something like that, but not much faster than that. And I do low 17s for 5k. Maybe I could even break 17 on a really good day. I haven't done that, but maybe I could. And uh, recently, I, I just met uh, James Teagle. He was here in Lisbon, my coaching partner, uh, the other day. And he's a low 15-minute runner. And uh, and that's off the bike, by the way. I don't know. Maybe he could break 15 minutes in a pure standalone 5k race. His uh, long run pace, uh, specifically, I don't know. But I know that for his easy runs... He runs at right around that five minutes per kilometer. So, so really, your friend is stuck in a gray zone. He's running at a moderately high intensity and he should be running slower than you because he is slower than you. And the races show that. It's really that simple. And I, I don't think that you, by the way, you're not sandbagging your long runs. I would not recommend that you run any faster. I think you're running at an appropriate pace. So definitely no, no sandbagging going on there on your part either. The good news for you is that as long as your friend keeps doing this, you'll keep beating him in races, no problem. <laughs> so, so there's no need for you to be frustrated. And in fact, I am a bit surprised that uh, it is you, Craig, that, that's riding in and not your friend. But uh, I think that this serves as a great example of the importance of, of doing the easy training easy enough. And of course, I'll link to the very related listening that we have from episode 177, where I interviewed uh, Steven Seiler on the concept of polarized training. So thank you again, Craig, for your question. Really good one and really good discussion topic. 
All right, the next question is from Chris from Michigan. He has two questions, and the first one is, uh, I do like to do long aerobic rides in Zone 2 and uh, play with the cadence spin-ups as part of the warm-up of that workout. I spin up to a cadence of uh, around 125 RPM for 30 seconds, and then rest for one minute with slow pedaling. It feels easy, and it feels fun. However, it increases my power from comfortable zone 2 160 watts to just above my ftp in the 240s does this negate the purpose of zone 2 training by shifting it to a higher level how does short short bursts of high power output affect low uh, low intensity training should it be done at the end of a training session let's say uh, a three hour ride or maybe not at all all right chris thanks for your questions and i'll answer this one first so Spin-ups, cadence spin-ups are great. So really good on you for including them in your training. I think that it can be done as part of a low-intensity ride and it's not going to ruin the purpose of it. Just a few things to keep in mind there. Uh, I do think that it's important to keep it to uh, like a restricted time window within that ride. So doing it the way that you are doing it with, for example, doing four up to eight of them or maybe three to eight of them as uh, 30 seconds on, one minute off. Then the total time window of that spin-up segment of the workout is short. It's kept short. And the total time of the workout that is affected by your spin-ups is kept as short as possible. Compared to, for example, if you do one spin-up every 10 minutes or something like that, then basically that lingering effect of going into a higher power zone is going to be impacting a much larger proportion of your aerobic workout so so i would not recommend that i would recommend fitting them all in to a 10 to 20 minute window of the workout i think that you could argue both ways for whether to do them at the beginning or at the end of the workout if you do them at the beginning at the, as part of the warm-up then you'll get the full neuromuscular benefits from them as you are not pre-fatigued the way that you might be at the end of a three-hour ride on the other hand you might elevate your lactate for a while after the last spin-up so the proportion of your workout that will actually be true zone 2 with low lactate levels beyond your first lactate turn point that is going to be slightly shorter compared to if you just finish the workout with these uh, with these pin-ups in which case the the spin-up segment won't have an impact beyond that actual spin-up segment which it will have for some time if you have the spin-up segment as part of the warm-up and i don't know how long the time is maybe it's five minutes maybe it's 10 minutes but but it will have some impact there my preference still would be to do it early in the workout the way that you're doing it now and uh just to make sure that the, uh, ensure that if you do them then you make them count because neuromuscularly you you get the full benefit so they really mean something if done as part of a three-hour ride you will still have a lot of effective zone two time from fairly shortly after that last spin-up in the warm-up segment. So I wouldn't worry about that. That's what my recommendation would be. That said, I think you could argue both ways, and I don't think that one is necessarily right or wrong. That would be my, my preference. The second question from Chris is, I like to play and experiment with my training. I recently started doing slow zone two one-hour rides immediately after high-intensity runs. First time felt really tough, the second time was okay, and the third time felt quite easy. Does this work as low-intensity aerobic training in disguise? So, great question. Yeah, I think this is great training because it ensures that you go easy enough in one of your easy one-hour rides. 
but it also is very time effective. So I've done quite quite a lot of these types of hard run to easy bike type of workouts in various phases of my training. And uh, I wouldn't call it low intensity training in disguise. I think it's just low intensity training. And uh, you said there that you keep it in low zone too. So it's not really anything disguised about it. It's It's good training either way. It's easy endurance training, and so you can do it in that pre-fatigue state after a hard ride. It really doesn't matter much if you you wouldn't get any additional benefit from that training by doing it later on in the same day, for example, in a slightly more recovered state, it, because you would still go at the same intensity, or you should still go at the same easy intensity, and uh, it would be perhaps less time efficient. So uh, I would say big stamp of approval for it. There may be periods in your training when doing a hard run followed immediately by an easy run ride like that might be might place too big demands on recovery because it might take you longer to recover from that than doing them the workout separately so you need to look at your the big picture or training program as well when you need to maximize recovery because you're in a tough training period then maybe you want to separate them but if your training program you have some room you know that you can recover well then i think that that is a, a great way to do it but that said, for athletes that have, for example, limited time windows for individual workouts and they need to do the same workouts but on separate occasions during the day, I don't think you're missing out much either. I think both are just really good ways of training and uh, and it's not as if one is going to have massively increased benefits over the other either. That's my take on it. And that wraps it up for today. I'll link the episode description to episode 177 the one on polarized training with Steven Seiler. I noticed now that this episode was actually unusually short for a Q&A, which is uh, interesting, but it's perhaps good given that it was the fifth Q&A that I recorded. So my energy levels are running quite low and uh, now I'll need to go and do something much less cognitively demanding, like riding my bike for an hour or so uh, to prepare for the next burst of cognitively demanding work that I have to do. Uh, I want to give a shout out here to a training plan user today. And uh, this time, uh, this this email that I got is from uh, Sami from Finland, but living in the Netherlands. He used the 19-week strength and conditioning plan that I have on scientifictriathlon.com. And he wrote that he had uh, improvements of his uh, runner's knee after getting his glutes much more activated. And he also had faster running and more power on the bike after using the program. So thank you so much, Sami. Much appreciated getting this sort of feedback that the program is working really well and getting big results to people like you. For anybody listening, by the way, who has used one of the training plans that I have on scientifictriathlon.com, I have a very quick feedback form and I would love it if you could fill it in so that I can keep improving the plans that I already have out there and take these suggestions into account in the ones that I will create in the future. So I'll put a link in the episode description for that feedback form and if you have used a training plan uh, from scientifictriathlon.com please go and fill that in it just takes a couple of minutes or you can email me or email david support at scientifictriathlon.com and ask for the link to that feedback form to if you don't find it in the episode description so many thanks if you can do that really really appreciated also, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Take their free online sweat test to get an individual hydration strategy for your next race. And use the promo code Show, all one word, all caps, to get your first box or tube for free. And thank you to Roka for sponsoring the podcast. 
Go and check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, and high-performance eyewear. And use the promo code TTS, all caps, to get 20% off your entire order. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.